Hey, good morning. We're beginning a new series. We're going to be working our way through some of the scriptures in the book of Acts. Our knowledge of early Christianity would be greatly diminished if Luke had not written the book, The Acts of the Apostles. Luke's book of Acts was the second, actually, of a two-volume work, the first being the Gospel of Luke. So the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book, The Acts of the Apostles. And actually, we don't. Luke ends up showing up in the book of Acts. He describes what's happening, and sometimes he uses the pronoun we, so he's involved in it. But we really don't know that much about him. He was a physician, we know, and so he was a person then of some education and social standing. Uh, He was fluent in Greek and knowledgeable of the Old Testament. He was a faithful associate of Paul. He was with Paul when Colossians, Philemon, and 2 Timothy were written, and these written when Paul were, was in imprisoned, when Paul was in, in, was, Paul was imprisoned. And in, actually, in 2 Timothy, Paul comments that all deserted him, and only Luke was with him. So Luke was one of those faithful persons who remained with Paul over the years. Luke also was a historian and a theologian. He had an eye for detail, and he's a really good storyteller. He begins the book of Acts where his gospel left off with Jesus' um, ascension into heaven, In the first verse of Acts chapter 1, he writes this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And when Luke writes this summary of the history of the early church, Uh, he intended his work to be read by the whole Christian community, uh, Jew and Gentile. However, he directs his book to somebody named Theophilus, and we, again, don't know a lot about this guy either. Uh, A couple of theories, if Paul's in prison when when Luke is putting this account together, maybe he's putting it together to provide Paul's lawyer this overview in, that would help him to defend Paul. And that might be it. it. It could well be that Theophilus is a wealthy patron, a Christian, and he is helping to defray some of Luke's costs that come from researching and writing this document at any rate. What we know is that Theophilus must have been a Christian and that Luke directs this work through him to the church community. One of the the features of Acts is the presence of speeches that we find throughout the narrative. There are 24 of them, and that's what we're going to look at. Um, Peter has eight, nine from Paul, and there's another seven from others. Altogether, these speeches make up about a third of a really long letter. So we have a number of them. Uh, The first speech is from Jesus to his 11 apostles. Again, Judas Iscariot has been, he hanged himself, and 
his replacement will learn about in uh, in Acts. But at this point, when Luke is writing, is 11, here's what he, he says in verse 3 of Acts 1, after his suffering, Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men, to the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs, proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Following the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. You get the sense from the documents that it's not a continued visit, but he moves in and out and appears to them over that time. We run into the number 40 throughout the Bible. Um, it's the period, 40 years in the wilderness, and the time Moses spent on Mount Sinai relieving, receiving the law, that was 40 days. Um, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. So 40 ends up showing up a lot as a number that we, run, again, run into again and again. Jesus, just as Jesus spent 40 days preparing for his ministry in the wilderness, he spent 40 days preparing his apostles for their ministry. In verse 4, it talks about one occasion. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about what happens on the day of Pentecost. Um, the influence of the Holy Spirit we find throughout the book of Acts and has led some to suggest that a, a really good title for this book would be not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus instructed the Apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come, and the same Spirit who rested upon Jesus and empowered him for his ministry would empower the Apostles for theirs. You know, it's interesting that as important as the influence of the Holy Spirit is, in this letter and throughout the New Testament, there are lots of different opinions concerning what spirit influences life. How do you know if you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of different images of what, what spirit influence is like. You might think about, what do you think of when you think of spirit influence? Um, Naturally, we think of supernatural phenomena. We think of miracles or speaking in tongues and healings. Um, some others think well, spirit influence is when you're convicted of sin. When you do something and you get something in your mind that says you shouldn't do that, and that's what spirit influence is like to many. Spirit influence is getting this impression. I, I was going from point A to point B, and I got this sense that I think I need to call X and so. And some people then, when they call X and so, they said, I was just thinking about you. And so people think about spirit influence, that when they're told to do something that they wouldn't have known to do. Uh, it's associated with spiritual power. There's a lot of different images of what spirit influence is like. And there's a lot concerning how spirit influence is accessed. How is it 
that we come to the place where this power, this influence that Jesus experienced and the disciples experienced, how do we find ourselves in a position where we can access it as well? Um, when we think of how, it's generally assumed that God somehow streams spirit influence directly into our minds. Somehow the spirit creates awareness or thoughts inside our mind that end up changing us, end up helping us to see things clearly. But how this kind of influence happens is not really clear. I was, when I, I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, I went on staff with a campus ministry organization, Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was on staff for three years. And they had this illustration about the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's, they, they would actually, it was part of a presentation that we had and that they, you'd have different circles and these different circles represent different kinds of lives. And in these circles, picture two circles, and in the circle, each circle, there's a chair. And so whoever sits in the chair directs the life. And so then they had two different kinds of lives, and one is the self-directed life. So you have the chair in the middle, and there's an S on the chair in the middle of the circle. And then there's dots representing the interests of the person, and they're all over the place, and they're mixed up, and they're here and there, and hither and yon, and so self-directed life is seen as pretty chaotic. And then there is the spirit-directed life. And so now self is not on the chair, but the spirit is, God's spirit represented by a cross and the interests of the life all the dots and the activities they're all perfectly aligned everything in the world is perfect so the sense is in terms of how this works so how do you get the spirit on the chair and and how does self get on the chair because you don't want yourself on the chair you want the spirit on the chair this is what i was taught at the time and so the way it works with a taught, and I'm not sure I, I don't see it this way. I don't think this is a, the best illustration of how it works. But when you sin, you bump the spirit off the chair. And when you sin, then you hop on the chair. And so what you have to do, you have to confess your sin, and then you get off the chair, and the spirit gets on the chair. Until you sin again, and the spirit's off the chair, and you're on the chair. Until you confess, and you're off in the spirit. And so it's like, um, that's kind of what it's like. It's like a spiritual views, version of musical chairs. Um, not very clear. Does the Bible give us anything clear about the influence of the Holy Spirit, how we can experience it, and, and it does. Uh, spirit influence is related directly, according to Paul, and he says a lot about it, to covenant clarity. To the degree we have covenant clarity, and I'll explain that, we are in a position to be experienced, experience the influence of the Spirit. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, he has made us, God, competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. And what Paul is doing, he is distinguishing two different covenants, 
There's the old covenant in Sinai that's called the letter. And there's the new covenant that's associated with the spirit. And God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. So what it's describing, to the degree we are clear that Jesus ushers in the new covenant, to the degree we're clear about that and understand what it means and know that we're not under the old but under the new, to that degree we experience spirit influence. Um, and, he, and it's not something that happens all of a sudden. Listen to what Paul says a little bit later in that same chapter, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And this is what it says. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And what it's describing is this, the way it works, to the degree that we behold and understand the commitments that God makes in his new covenant, we understand that we're not, it's not the commitments and the commandments and the consequences of the old, but it's the commitments of the new. And to the degree we are clear about that, we understand we're under a commitment covenant and not a commitment commandment consequence covenant. To the degree we understand that, we experience uh, the influence of the Spirit, and it's something that progressively grows the clearer we become, the more time we spend understanding, thinking, listening again and again to what it means, gradually our thinking changes and our sense of being secure increases. We become less anxious when we think about God. All of that is associated with spirit influence. Um, it's directly related to covenant clarity as we behold and understand and spend time thinking about the new covenant. The Spirit of God influences our thoughts, which influence our attitudes, which influence our actions. That's the way Paul sees it happening. Spirit influence and covenant clarity go hand in hand. Um, Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Spirit. And he indicated that spirit influence would help the disciples to do what Jesus was asking them to do, which was to speak on his behalf. Here's what it says in Acts 1, verse 6 through 8. So when they met together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The 11 apostles, what they were wondering, since Jesus had risen now in his in the 40-day period, he is appearing to them, and they're asking, because they know that this is 
He is God. He rose from the dead, and and here he is, and he's telling us about things, and he's proving that he is Jesus. And for 40 days he did this, and they were saying he was wondering if Jesus was going to restore Israel to a former position of prominence. There are passages in the Old Testament where the outpouring of the Spirit on Israel would restore it to its glory days, the way it was under David and Solomon, and powerful and holy. And they're saying, is that going to happen now? And what he says, that his spirit would equip them to speak for him. In fact, Acts 1.8, which says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That really is an outline for the book of Acts. It talks about ministry in Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7. Ministry in Judea and Samaria, which is the rest of Israel. That comes in verses 8 through 12. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and chapters 13 through 28 are the mission to the outermost parts of the earth. That has to do mainly with Paul. Uh, so when we think of spirit influence, then, as I said, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas. What I want us, I think, what biblically, biblically what it says, it comes from beholding and grasping over time new covenant clarity. The spirit ministry and covenant clarity are, are connected. It comes from beholding and leads to reflecting. Here's what it says in that verse again. I read it, but... In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we with unveiled faces beholding or reflecting the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. And this is something that we'll see. It's another important facet or element of spirit influence that biblically it tends to be embodied. God could have reflected power any way he wanted. He could have had angels speak from the sky, and that's the way that we would know about him. He could have made it so that his spirit appears and talks, but the way he did it, he identified individuals who would receive spirit influence, embody spirit influence, and that that influence would be transmitted interpersonally. So, Jesus then puts his apostles, disciples, in a position where they experience spirit influence. And as that happened, they travel in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and the spirit influence that was channeled to them is channeled through them. That's the way spirit influence seems to work. It's interpersonal. We have a tendency to believe that the way spirit influence works is that somehow God streams spirit realities directly into our brain. Somehow he does that, and some people tune it in, and some people don't tune it in. It seems, and can that happen, I imagine, but more the, the rule biblically is that spirit influence passes from one person who remains, is clear, is changed, and that person then interpersonally connects with others and 
then through people, spirit influence occurs, which is to say we are transformed by spirit words, transformed by spirit words. I think this becomes important. Um, it says in Isaiah, Isaiah talks a lot about the spirit, and he talks about a time, I've read this verse before, but I'm going to read it briefly. Isaiah 59, it talks about a really uh, decadent time in, in Israel's history. Uh, they were moral flatliners. And here's what it says, justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. It was a moral nightmare. And this is what it says. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. And it goes on to say, and he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So here's what's happening. There's all kinds of desperate moral conditions and spiritual conditions. God looks at the conditions and says, I'm displeased, but there's something appalling. And what was appalling is that those who were tasked to reflect God's words weren't doing so. That was the problem. The absence of God words was the problem. And the fruit of the problem was people were, did not have the knowledge and ability to be who God wanted them to be. So their lives reflected the absence of revelation. And here's what, how God fixed the problem. And in Isaiah 59, this is what it says. As for me, this is my covenant with them. I'm reading from Isaiah 59, 21. This is what he says. My spirit, who is on you, and it's talking about the Redeemer, who is Jesus, and listen to what it says. My spirit who is on you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth. So what happens? Spirit influence will put words in the mouth of Jesus. Spirit words. And these spirit words would communicate truths about God. And as people heard spirit words, the injustice and the dishonesty that characterized culture at the time would change because that's the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is not hearing God, not understanding him. So the way God's going to fix the moral problem is to fix the reflection problem to make sure that there will be someone, the Redeemer Jesus, who will speak spirit words, not just him. It says, my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever. It indicating that not only would spirit words be put in the mouth of Jesus, they would be put in the mouths of those who were Jesus' offspring. And I think that's what it's speaking of in his disciples. Jesus then, in bestowing spirit influence on the disciples, is putting spirit words in their mouth so that they can speak these spirit words. And as people hear them, behold them, they're changed by them. The nice thing for us, we have 24 speeches in the book of Acts that 
reflect spirit words. We can sit with these disciples, eight with Peter, I think, uh, nine with Peter, eight with Paul at any rate, and then seven from others. We're going to be able to listen to them, listen to spirit words. And um, uh, as we work our way through these, as we study these spirit words, we're going to see God's message more clearly, hear it more clearly, see it more clearly. And as we see it more clearly, we're going to be transformed as a result. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for finding or making a way for us to be able to be impacted by spirit words. Thank you for Luke. We would not have access to these words had he not made it his business to to chronicle the events and the speeches. And so we're able now, 2,000 years after the fact, to hear disciples proclaiming spirit words. Thank you for causing your word to be recorded and preserved so that we have this opportunity. And as we do so, I pray you'd open our minds to um, what it is you tell us so that as we have this in our minds, spirit words can change us, transform us, and we could reflect this change to others. In Jesus' name, amen.